Welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. My name is Eric Landstrom, and today we present a very special episode reviewing Season 1 of Tough Enough. Have you ever wonder what it's like to be a WWF superstar? For most of us, it takes several years to earn the right to call ourselves WWF superstars. On WWF Tough Enough, 13 very lucky men and women given the chance to see if they have what it takes. Two people will actually win WWF superstar contracts. This is a hell of an opportunity. They better not take it lightly. We don't. And that's why we'll all have a hand in their training. And joining me on this journey, introducing the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast reality show expert, Heather Olson. Hi. Heather, welcome. Welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago show. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, this is obviously a monumental uh, occasion in a lot of ways, um, uh, but we're really, really happy to have you here, and thanks for uh, agreeing to review this very strange uh, show called Tough Enough. I am thrilled. It has been an up-and-down journey watching it. Uh, Heather here uh, is our uh, ringer for uh, such an occasion. So, Heather, uh, before we dive into Tough Enough... Tell us about your uh, reality show acumen, please. Yeah, I feel like reality shows have just been something that I have watched forever. I remember starting with shows like um, Road Rules and Real World um, back in the 90s and then more kind of uh, contemporary to this show, shows like American Idol, Survivor, uh, The Bachelor, all which started around 2000, 2002, um, and then really got into America's Next Top Model, Project Runway. The ones that are kind of like this where they're performing. They are bringing their art and uh, putting it before judges and then getting cut and whittling down to whoever's the best. Yeah, and of course, another one that maybe, or maybe you didn't watch, but one that has been compared a lot to professional wrestling is RuPaul's Drag Race as yes, well. Yes, definitely. Very similar. You put it all out there. You uh, put on a persona to some degree, mm-hmm. and that's critiqued and judged and very technical in many ways. Well, welcome, Heather. Uh, we're happy to have you here. Thanks. And uh, season one of Tough Enough. Episode one is the casting special airing June 21 of 2001. We're at WWF New York where Angle, Kurt Angle, the Hardy Boys, Chris Jericho, etc. Well, this is in the intro that you would have heard. They all tell us how hard it is to be a wrestler. And of course, Triple H says it's going to be tough. And we recap many of the videos sent in with the obligatory humiliation of uh, some of the clearly unqualified contestants. And now, yes, we go to WWF New York, and the judges are Al Snow, Taz, Big John, Gaborik, uh, Miss Jacqueline, Jonathan Coachman, Kevin Dunn, Michael Cole, Mick Foley, and a bunch of people from MTV who we never meet. Uh, they're very, all very clear, especially uh, Big John and the WWF folks, that they're interested in physique. And now we get into meeting some of the potential contestants. We meet uh, Southern Baptist Chris. And Miss Jackie immediately asks him to drop his pants. We meet Nydia, who has a tongue ring, as do about 100 other men and women here. Uh, She does some jump roping, and Taz gives her a hard time. It'll be of no surprise that Taz's role in this is to be the uh, stern coach, the Simon Cowell, if you will. Uh, And Miss Jackie challenges Nydia to a workout. We meet Greg, who is Mr. 2001. Al Snow says this isn't for dreamers. 
there are a lot of unathletic people here uh, who can't jump rope uh, or do much in the field of athleticism. Uh, we meet Paulina, who's six foot three. Uh, Taz says nobody is too small, but need that everybody needs the right attitude. Uh, we meet Josh, who does a flip into the ring, and we meet Josh's parents. And his mom says that Josh doesn't have a very good chance due to his size. Josh is quite small. Uh, Victoria, a trained stunt woman, is willing to do anything to get into wrestling. Uh, we meet William, who's in great shape and looks to be about 19 years old. More athletic failure with a bag test and lots of baggy pants falling down. We meet Jason, who is enormous and apparently willing to be away from his girlfriend. Um, we meet a contestant who has a promo written on their hands. And I would say here, despite the athletic, uh, the lack of athleticism, the promos are the worst uh, part of this uh, consistently. And that cuts right to Al Snow saying charisma is important. We meet Maven, who winks at Miss Jackie and is very charismatic. Stacy jumps rope, and she's from Australia. She sold her car to be here. But according to the MTV people, Stacy, who's probably in her mid-20s, may be a little long in the tooth. Now, Heather, if that's not an early 2000s reality show uh, comment right there, I don't know what is. <laughs> Bobby Joe is wearing cheetah print and wants to do Playboy. And from Stanford, we hear, good shit, pal. Daryl is enormous, which gets the WWF's attention. Daryl, coincidentally, also in his mid-twenties, but not long in the tooth. I wonder what the difference is. We meet the evil custodian who cuts a promo and puts over Razor Ramon, and Taz immediately says he doesn't want people playing characters. Uh, the people are tired. Taz cuts a promo on the people complaining and tells them to get the fuck out. Uh, we meet Taylor's parents, who hate wrestling. Um, and we meet Chris Nowinski, who has a Harvard degree, and Brown noses Al Snow. And this closes day one. The next day, 230 contestants become 25. Daryl is the last man in after the MTV producers advocate for him. Stacy from Australia is in tears because she wasn't picked. Big John Gaborik congratulates the top 25. They'll have a physical, a drug test, blood work, and interviews with MTV. He says they should be themselves. And we see very little of the second day, other than Big saying that he doesn't like the five, the five foot nine guys. And you'll hear uh, right now the final 13 announced by Stephanie McMahon. You're about to find out just what you're really made of. And we're gonna find out out of the 13 finalists who's tough enough. So with that, let me announce the lucky 
your final 13. It's pretty cool for me to stand here and look at what could be the potential future of the WWF. And you will have heard our final 13 are Josh, Jason, Victoria, Maven, Taylor, Chris, Shadrick, Bobby Joe. Uh, so there's two Chris's, Chris Nowinski and Chris Nifong, making note-taking very interesting. Uh, Paulina, Nydia, Daryl, and Tom. Greg is disappointed. We learned Maven is from Oregon. High five. Woo! All right. And we cut to the house, and the house is pretty nice. Uh, but only 12 arrive. Tom isn't there. Uh, Gaborik shows up and says Tom decided not to sign the contract. So in fact, we do have Greg here. So Tom is out. Greg is in. Big gives the rules of the house as episode one closes. Heather, your thoughts on this first episode of this unusual reality show? Yeah, it was really interesting. Some of the similarities in kind of the form to other reality shows at that time. It's very common to see some of those home videos that are uh, thrown in there to kind of give it a little bit of a personal touch, a little peek into their home life, maybe even. Um, that was very common in some of those early shows like America's Next Top Model, Project Runway. Um, even The Bachelor would have mm. that. Uh my question really first came to you as um, when they were going through the casting directors and they were discussing all of the people, what what to you is more important? Is it the physique or is it the personality? Because there's got to be a balance, right? There's like that sweet spot where they have both. So I know that they were talking a lot in the show about like, oh, this person has like the personality that we're looking for, but they're puny. They could, they're not athletic. They're just like nothing there. So where's that balance? Which is more important? Yeah, I think in 2001 in the WWF, uh, if you didn't have size, you needed to have something exceptional. Mm -hmm. um, so we've watched uh, around this time, you've watched most of actually uh, 2001 with me yeah. as I've been preparing for the main show and the volumes that I've been on. Um, and you've, you've brought up folks like Spike Dudley, yep. right? But he is clearly has that little something where he, you know, he has a defined role and he's very good at being that charismatic little guy, right? Yeah. And you saw all the stuff with Molly Holly and, you know, there was something there. And so for your folks like Josh and some of these smaller guys, they have to have an exceptional it factor mm -hmm. in order to get through. Whereas a Daryl or a Tom or a Greg, some of these more like generic kind of vanilla personality guys or in... in, in uh, in Daryl's cases, we'll learn somebody who's like actively working against their own interests right. because they're 6'4", 240, because they're natural, because they have an athletic background. That's enough. That, that can be enough to get through the door. What you really want to see, though, and I think in this opening episode, I think we probably saw it most from Maven and maybe from uh, what was the what was the fellow's name? Uh, he was another small guy, uh, but the, the the young guy. Anyway, Maven and a couple of others had a charisma and I think what we're looking for is, is a charisma um, here is William William who was mm. in great shape very young but William and, and Maven both had a charisma uh, William didn't make it um, but you know that that's really what you're looking for is is some degree of size and athletic or athleticism preferably both and then charisma that can be cultivated okay I gotcha yeah that makes sense so overall my first impressions are that Maven is there to compete. He really showed in this episode that he was there. He was serious. He was all about this life. Um, the girl who wants to be a playboy, what was her name? Oh, Bobby Joe. Bobby Joe. Yeah. What the heck is she doing there? Why? Like, she must have a manager who is just like 
buckshotting out to every reality show or something because she seems to know nothing about wrestling nothing about that world well she actively said that she didn't watch wrestling and she didn't want to be in that even so why is she there um then uh daryl is the other one you mentioned him a little bit he just seems like a beast he seems like i don't quite know if he's all there mentally but he is just a big man who is going to execute like he is just gonna he's there to throw down would you agree that at least as far as the eye test goes in this initial episode just looking at at the at the person on the screen yeah i think there are three or four clear favorites at least on the men's side chris nowinski yep big guy from harvard yep tom who is the one who dropped out beforehand greg his replacement another big strong guy and daryl i think that greg would maybe be the one that i disagree with i Maybe it's just to me, Greg is very bland and vanilla, so I don't see him. I think I would substitute Maven in there. Okay. Because Maven made a bigger first impression on me than Greg did. All right. Well, let's see. Let's see if it continues. Episode two, entitled Down and Dirty, airing June 28, 2001. Uh, Chris Nowinski has had some training, and he, whisk, and he whispers to Nydia that it's all fake. Maybe it was Chris Nifong who had been trained, one of the Chris's. Uh, some, somebody's had some training and whispered to Nydia that it was all fake. And Daryl, unfortunately, has come down with a cold, a crippling one by his account. Uh, Victoria is excited to train since she was a stunt person. And so we go to Trax, which is a training warehouse near the WWF headquarters in Connecticut. And your trainers are going to be Al, Al Snow, Miss Jacqueline, Tori, Portland again, high five. Woo! All right. Um, and then eventually Taz. Uh, and the training uh, immediately looks hard. And I know there's a lot of wiggly arms on the first day. Uh, they try flat backs, and we mix in uh, skulls bouncing off the mat uh, with the wiggly arms, and poor Victoria just keeps smashing her head. Uh, they go to the WWF gym to, to weight train, and it looks exactly like it did in 1985. Uh, Josh already wants a leave, and they're all very sore. Daryl refuses to do a full squat, and back at tracks, uh, they, they learn lockups. And uh, Tori also doesn't like that one of the Chris's is using his indie bullshit, and not listening to them, uh, how they're trying to teach them. Victoria hits her head again and is clearly concussed. Uh, After training, they all go out to dinner and take painkillers, brother. Taz is back at the house to bully folks, and he rips a Goldberg picture off the wall. I explained to you that Goldberg was a wrestler in the rival promotion. Yeah, no idea why he was so angry about this. And then later on, we'll hear Triple H's thoughts on Goldberg as well. (laughs) Uh, They play the... They go to a, a... a hog pen, basically, to play a cone game in pig slop. Uh, Tad clearly has a massive dip in his lip, and this looks exceptionally dangerous. Jason already has a knee injury, and Paulina injures her, her knee during the cone game, possibly landing on a rock in the slop. And apparently there is not a medic on file. Uh, they then run in their muddy clothes. Daryl walks, and Taz yells. You'll hear this now. Daryl! Let's go, run! Catch up! We'll give you the chance to catch up. Catch up. Let's go. Move your ass. You've been walking for like a quarter mile. But you want to be a big WWF superstar, but you want to lag your ass behind. Because you ain't got no respect for yourself or for our company or for the chance you get. Don't look at me with that hard look. I'll get out of this truck and whoop your ass. Try me, Daryl. Think you're a badass. You can't even run a mile. You ain't shit. I'd like to sit home in a nice plush house that MTV gave you and just sit back and drink some lemonade. 
Back at the house and everyone is expectedly sore and tired and everyone is injured. Episode two, thoughts on that, settling in. Victoria, she came in, she's like, I'm a stunt woman, I know this stuff, blah, blah, blah. What is she doing? If she's a stunt woman, how the heck does she keep hitting her head so hard? Shouldn't that be like 101 in Stunt Woman Playbook? Well, I almost think that they... that. They emphasize this to show that, like, these aren't stunt people. These aren't people who are, you know, stunt people aren't trained to be wrestlers and wrestlers aren't stunt people. This is a distinctly different, because what you hear a lot in Jim Ross, oh, how do you teach a man to learn to fall? You know, stuff like that. And it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, I could easily see the WWF trying to say, hey, let's bring in the stunt person and humiliate them in order to show that this stuff is different, more rigorous physically and athletically than even than a stunt person can handle. Yeah. Well... That's a, I think that's a wonderful point. I think that that's very true. I think that it's a completely different arena and it's its own thing, own art, its own kind of choreography to it. Um, to this point, though, I will say I did try to do a very extensive IMDb search. And by very extensive, I mean very cursory and mm-hmm. quick. Um, and Victoria was not listed under the cast for this season of the show. So I almost wonder how much of a stunt woman was she really? Oh. I would think if she was a stunt woman, she'd want to like market herself and have a profile, you know, like things like that. So then that makes me question, you know, are these, who are these people? Is the stunt woman actually just her persona? And she's another oh, playboy cons- bunny. Con- conspiracy Heather. Well, conspiracy. The like yeah. clearly if she's a stunt woman, she's really bad at it. Well, she's at least um, bad at taking flat backs. Yeah. 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 So it, that whole thing was just really hard to watch. My other impression was just that Taz is the worst. <laughs> he is just so mean. Um, I will say in what we watched on Peacock, mm-hmm. um, in the exclusive footage, it did show a softer, more real side of him where yeah. he actively did tell the people, you know, speak up if you're hurt. Tell us, like, don't actually be a tough guy and, like, push it too far. Um, and so I did appreciate that because it was more real, but they definitely keep Taz as this persona of like, like you said, the Simon Cowell, that's exactly what I had in my notes too. He is this like tough guy, mean hearted guy. And that's his role in this. And he plays it up very well. And it would come as no surprise to anybody watching the show at any point in the history of wrestling after Taz entered it, that this would be his persona. And it's not too far from the truth. Would it surprise you to know that uh, in, in modern times, October of uh, 2001, or 2021, uh, excuse me, that Taz is widely regarded as one of the best, if not the best wrestling commentator on the face of the planet? Yeah, that's crazy. Isn't that crazy? I mean, I can see it. He calls it like it is, right? Yeah. He, he's and just... He's well-spoken. Yeah, right. exactly. Clear, but a total dick. But a total, complete dick. Well. I would not want to have ears with him, I guess. Episode three, The Rules of the Game, July 5, 2001. And we opened at the WWF gym to see Jason training hard in the weight room. And it tracks, it's Triple H. Everyone is sore, and Daryl says it's hurt, and Triple H says, big fucking deal. Everyone says they can go today. And in the ring, Maven bumps, Josh bumps, and Daryl tries to bump. They practice punching and bumping for Triple H. Bobby Joe tells Triple H that she's not a big fan of wrestling. So there you go. Uh, Triple H gives the on the road speech and we've all heard it. Uh, Triple H then gives us his thoughts on Goldberg, which we'll hear now. You can tell a lot by a guy in this business about who he looked up to in this business. 
Then somebody tells me that one of these guys had a Goldberg poster on the wall that had to be torn off. To me, no big deal. I think Goldberg, you know, he's in our business, hell of an athlete. The question I ask is, if your biggest idol in this business is a guy that's been in the business for about a year, got everything handed to him, can't have a match longer than four minutes, has not wrestled probably for more than three months straight, because every three months he's got a hangnail, he's got a toothache, he's got a tummy ache, and he has to take time off, and I wonder where, where does that, where does that mentally put that person? What does that, what, what does that person think about the business? Is, is it about what we do? Is it about telling a story? Or is it just about being a big jacked up guy that stands in the ring, is fed a bunch of guys that really don't know what they're doing to mow over? He abuses that. What does it say about somebody that has no heart for what we do? No guts, no heart. You get injured, you keep going. You get hurt, you keep going. I've had to be carried to the top of the ramp to go to the ring. I've had to be helped up the stairs because I couldn't walk myself to him. And I've walked to that ring and I've wrestled for 45 minutes against Vince McMahon. After he fell 35 feet on my leg, his big fat ass almost busted it. I still went to the ring. I'm not bragging. I'm not that tough. I'm, not, I'm no tougher than anybody else in our business. But I respect our business. I love our business. I put my life on the line every day for our business. And I gladly do it and I will continue to do it until I can do it no longer. Not for the fame, not for the glory of it, not so I can get laid for no other reason but then love of the business. Triple H uh, then says you have to work through injuries and he names drops, name drops Draws. Uh, do you know who Draws is? <laughs> no idea. So Draws is a wrestler who, in a complete freak accident wrestling, one of the safest wrestlers that's, that's around at this time, uh, slipped and fell and s fractured his spine his neck and became a quadriplegic. Oh, no. So Triple H is bringing up somebody who became a quadriplegic in the ring scenario. to tell you that you need to work through injuries. Uh, so Greg is awestruck by Triple H, but Daryl doesn't see the big deal. Uh, Jason's knee is already bummed up and he's not sure he wants to be a wrestler and nobody likes Bobby Joe. Uh, in the hot tub, Nydia and Chris Nifong flirt, uh, but Chris takes it way too far and dunks Nydia. Jason tells his mom on the phone that he's not super thrilled about things. And now we see Nydia flirting with Chris Nowinski. None of this ever went anywhere. There were never any romantic, really, endeavors on the show, right? Like, there were no, there were no. no relationship subplots or anything. No, but this, I will say that this is the most reality show-ish that I think the show got this episode. Yeah. Because it seemed like, oh, maybe there might be the start of this drama with, yeah. like, maybe they're going to be a thing. And he dunked her and then she got mad and was like, ooh... But then they just like, other guy. Yeah. yeah, and then it was just like, it's cool, man, whatever. It was almost Whoa. like them, like not, they, they almost weren't quite sure what kind of show they wanted it to be at yeah. this point because we had a lot of young and attractive people walking around in their bathing suits. Yep. 
and then they never went anywhere with it anyway. Uh, so Jason, uh, Jason has a heart to heart with Big John and decides to leave. And so it tracks Al strikes Jason's chair and we close with a training montage and we see everybody questioning their ability to complete the program. So episode three, uh, let's start here. What, what did you think about Triple H? Um, you know, Triple H is one of my favorite um, hosts or guests, actually. I feel like he told them how it is. Like, he was like, this is the reality, guys. If you're going to be here, you're not going to have a family. You're not going to have a lot of friends. You're going to live this rock star lifestyle, and it's going to go hard, and it's going to go fast, and you won't remember half of it, and at the end, you're going to be in a lot of pain. Mm -hmm. Um, But hang on for the ride, because it's quite the ride. And so I feel like he gave such a, like, realistic view into what this lifestyle is that they're like signing up for so that they don't have any like misconceptions of like this isn't everything like you can't have it all maybe or at least in his mind he hasn't found a way for it to be a reality to have it all and I think that that's just a really good like come to Jesus moment there so we see Jason uh, voluntarily exit the show uh, Mm -hmm. and he's the first person eliminated but he eliminates himself so at this point, uh, I wanted to ask you... Why is the plot? Well, well, let me ask you this. What was your understanding at this point of how uh, of how the competition was actually supposed to work? No, I have no idea. That was going to be my question to you is, at this point, I don't understand how contestants get eliminated, what the goals are of the show. I don't understand what the like competitions are. Are there like every episode there's two competitions and then they're scored on that or like there's no focus at this point would you say that the uh that the whole system is was cloaked and shrouded in mystery shrouded in mystery and i don't know if it was mystery or if they didn't know either yet welcome to the welcome to the world wrestling federation (laughs) so at this point i would say my top picks um are maven and nydia i think that they're the two and that was at the that was as you were taking as notes I'm while taking we were notes watching while it, right? we're watching okay. yep these are straight from chronologically yeah. my first impressions um i felt like at that point they were the only two who were really showing that they were into this world they were both willing to do what was necessary physically and even though neither of them were maybe the best at that physically they were the ones who seemed the most into that world and into the reality of that world into the lifestyle into like being the character um and everyone else was kind of like why are you even here like do you you don't even know what this is why what are you doing (laughs) like yeah, I can't say that I had strong thoughts on the women's side at this point, uh, yeah. but I, I would not have thought Maven uh, to be a con- uh, you know a top contender here. I would have seen Chris Nowinski. I would have seen Shadrick. Well, Shadrick for for his size, I guess. No, I I would have said um, I would have said Chris Nowinski, and I would have said Greg. Okay. And I, I say Greg just because of his look yeah. and his size, and you know how he's in the he's in the ring with Triple H, and he looks like a young Triple H, right? Okay. He, you know, he looks like a young wrestler, and then you know. Daryl, for all of his, for his size, I just think it became very clear that, you know, this probably was not going to be for him. Mm-hmm. So let's go to episode four, The Billionaire Princess, July 12, 2001. So uh, Big takes Victoria on a drive, and Victoria doesn't think she wants to be a wrestler after all. And Al gives a 24-hour notice that there's going to be a cut down. 
and Victoria just keeps hitting her head. Uh, we see Al bumping safely for Josh, and, and Al is very well-mannered. Mm-hmm. Al was the opposite of Taz. Yeah, absolutely. Al is the good guy here. Would you do, Would you say that you like genuinely like Al Snow at this point? Um, I'm not sure at this point. I would say by the end of the show, I definitely genuinely liked him. Okay. Um, at this point, Al is just still kind of like a, a little bit bland to me, I guess. So they press, they practice headlocks into leg scissors and Al gives Daryl feedback and Daryl doesn't want to hear it. And then we learn that Daryl apparently smells and nobody likes him. <laughs> uh, but Daryl thinks he can take Mike Tyson. Um, Victoria and Bobby Joe are both struggling and they take a big aside at tracks and ask if they can leave and both decide to drop out. So now Victoria and Bobby Joe have dropped out as well. Uh, Maven and Josh have evening hijinks and they start a fire. And the fire was also something that was never really followed up on, which you think in a real, in a real world type reality show, lighting the house on fire would have been, yeah. Again, more evidence that they weren't really sure what they were doing with the show as they were going along. Yeah. No focus. Taz says that they're all qu- Taz says that uh, Jason, uh, Bobby Joe, and Victoria are all quitters, and that they needed to weed out the crap. Uh, and then we cut to Paulina, who keeps landing on her neck. And then we meet Ste- we see Stephanie McMahon again, and she's here to pick up the girls. They have a chat in the limo, and she says that Triple H is funny, and she says that it's hard not to laugh. And let's just take a listen to a snippet of this conversation. Like the bad girl. I love the bad girl. I love the bad girl too. I think it suits you better. I don't it know. Does why. Suit it does suit me better. Do you ever just yeah. want to like bust up laughing sometimes? Oh, just... it's so tough. <laughs> so, and especially because everybody's so funny, you know, especially yeah. Triple H. And when you're in the ring, they try to make you laugh all the time. So little like side comments, you know, and you're, and you're sitting there and you're like, yeah, oh, I think I've seen that face. Sometimes, before. sometimes I have, I have started to lose it. And like the other night, the Undertaker, he said something to me that I didn't know was coming, and he was cutting a promo on Triple H. He was saying, "When you're done doing this and that and screwing your way to the top," and he looked right at me, and I was like, <laughs> "It was so good, you know, it was such a good line." And I was, I was trying not to. That's funny. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Definitely happens. So yeah. what happened to Trish? Tr- we could never actually get a hold of her. Really? Okay. So I hope she's okay. To tell yeah, you. no doubt. I wanted to say something to the guys in the house because I'm sure they were. No, really they all, you know. Yeah, they're all, you know, clone, clone. Yeah, brush your teeth. They were already <laughs> outside. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I'm not too big of a disappointment. Oh, absolutely no. not. And we also learned that uh, apparently Trish Stratus was supposed to come, uh, but Stephanie came instead. Um, Stephanie seems to like Nydia and compliments the female locker room and says everyone has to laugh as much as they work. So awkward. We see, we'll get there. We see the lunch montage and all the women complimenting Stephanie McMahon. Uh, Back at the house, Daryl talks about college football and everybody's sick of Daryl. And now Chris Nowinski pulls Daryl aside to have a man-to-man, but that doesn't go anywhere. And at this point, I've noticed that it's jeans and Doc Martens everywhere <laughs> to, to remind us all what year we're in. Uh, and then at the end of the show, the group is going to SmackDown to watch Al's match. And they show a montage of Al Snow matches not from SmackDown and no actual footage of Al Snow's match from SmackDown. Um, episode four, uh, you mentioned uh, the awkwardness of the limo ride and the luncheon. Uh, what were your thoughts on the Stephanie McMahon segment? 
I couldn't tell who was more awkward in that, if it was Stephanie McMahon or if it was the contestants. Like, it was, if I remember right, Stephanie and Nydia sitting next to each other. Right. And it was just such a stiff, like, it felt like she was trying to say something but not saying something the whole time, like double speak and just such an uncomfortable interaction of people who did not know how to be in the same room together. Did, did it feel to you that Stephanie McMahon was in the room with like, was in a limo with three or four, you know, relatively average yeah. young women? Yeah. And just to me, like so desperately wanted to be one of their peers, but she had absolutely no ability to do it. So like she was basically pretending to be a normal, you know, young woman who can have things in common with these people who don't come from, you know, Vince McMahon's loins, right? Yeah. And like from that background and it just came off as exceptionally forced. Yes. And they were definitely just from different worlds. You know, these three girls would easily hang out together. But um, if it was, you know, Stephanie with any of them, she's just on this like separate pedestal from them. And the passive aggressiveness about saying, oh, it was supposed to be Trish where all the guys disappointed. Yes. And then she said, I thought about telling you all that I beat her up. <laughs> so just, oh, oh. so awkward. Well, so uncomfortable. Maybe on the next uh, Tough Enough uh, review, we'll have to have a psychiatrist on here uh, as well as a third <laughs> chair. Anything else uh, as we go through here? I, I will say at this point, um, I, I felt like that there was it was basically the daryl show mm-hmm. and yeah. and i don't know uh, you know there were rumor, there were reports in some of the wrestling magazines that um daryl was kind of a, a ratings driver and that he was kind of the lightning bolt for the show kind of the the person who you know uh, was becoming kind of the, the this topic of conversation yeah. and i think here we kind of see like this did become the daryl show for a while it did for a hot second but the more they showed him the more i just kept thinking this guy is on something there was something about like the look in his eyes that was a little bit feral or a little bit just hungry for something that he couldn't get i don't know how to ex- describe that exactly but um every time i looked at him i was like he, he's getting so much screen time but he's not all there. He's a little crazy. I would not trust him in a room with anyone alone. Streaming along here, episode five, Dinner with Mr. Patterson, July 19, 2001. Uh, and, and Paulina is still fighting through injuries. Uh, and I noted here that uh, in the words of Jim Cornette, that Daryl bumps like a wet sack of hammers. Um, and one of the, and Chris Nowinski calls him the worst, but Daryl thinks he's doing great. And we learn that they're going to have dinner with Pat Patterson. Uh, they go to the grocery store, uh, to shop, uh, for food to cook for Mr. Patterson. And they're given a hundred dollar budget. They exceeded by $86, which Chris Nowinski covers out of pocket. And when they get back to the house, he asks everybody for, uh, to, to pitch in. And let's hear Daryl's reaction to that request. We gave him $100, and the bill ended up being 185 and we you know, didn't know that until we got in line, and nobody had, really had any money, and I had that cash on me. The reason I owe you money is because you decided to go and spend more money than what was necessary. He gave us $100 and said, buy dinner for Pat Patterson. You know, I asked everyone to, you know, contribute to the, to the cost of the dinner, and absolutely nobody had any problem with it at all, except for, except for Daryl. You went out and decided to spend $87 more and come back and tax the house. 
Yes. You didn't ask me, hey, Daryl, you want to pay? That's fine. I mean, I, I don't even, I'm not even going to have this argument. I just want my money. You know where I'm coming from, though, right? No. Watching Daryl and Chris fight that night was like watching two girls fight over a hairbrush. Look, man, I don't got a personal problem with you at all, but you well, got to understand I got a personal problem with you. You got a personal problem with me? Yes. Oh, that's great. Here's your money. See you later. So again, Daryl just continuing to not make any friends, and, and clearly there's an active, um, I don't want to say revolt against him because he did have allies in the house, but they were definitely framing this as Daryl being kind of the heel of the show at this point. And this seems like the most wrestling moment to me in this whole show is this is like the first confrontation really between people, which I would expect more of in a show like this. Um, anyway, I just wanted to interject that real fast. I noticed that this is really the first and only of this sort of we don't like this person. We don't get along. Hey, I'm going to pick some, pick something with you. So we see Pat Patterson arrive with uh, Big John and they all tell Pat why they want to be wrestlers. And, and uh, Paula calls uh, Taylor a suck up. Um, Paulina calls Taylor a suck up. Uh, and we hear stories from Pat Patterson. Pat tells his history and then he tells a story about mooning people in Texas and then doing karaoke with The Rock and the Dudleys. Uh, really quickly, uh, Pat Patterson is a re is a revered uh, figure in the wrestling world, and this was probably your first meeting uh, of of Mr. Yes. Patterson, right? Yeah, definitely. So, so as a non wrestling uh, person, seeing this guy for the first time, what was your impression of of Pat Patterson? Honestly, he just kind of seemed like the sweet old man who was just kind of there, and um, you know, giving him I don't know, he was like a little flirtatious. He was a little bit silly, a little bit sweet. He did not seem to me what I would expect from a seasoned wrestler, if I'm honest. Um, would it surprise you to know that he was basically Vince McMahon's top lieutenant in the late 80s through the early 90s? Yeah, that's interesting. Okay. Um, so we go back to tracks, and they're doing forward flipping bumps, and Shad can't land flat, and uh, Paulina keeps landing on her neck. Uh, Josh and Daryl botch a hip toss, and Daryl didn't rotate, and Al says he's going to bench Daryl if Daryl can't be safe. Uh, and Daryl just continues to not be able to get the bump right. Uh, but in the car, Daryl blames everyone else for his issues. Uh, at the house, Shad and Taylor have made pals with Daryl, though, who just continues to make excuses. Uh, at the house, Big chides them for how messy it is, but then he rewards them by taking them out for beers. Uh, they bet on darts uh, involving push-ups, and predictably, we don't see Big John doing any push-ups. Uh, Taylor said she was going to school before coming to the house. Uh, Taylor was going to the University of Washington. Uh, oh. whose football team uh, recently lost to Montana, uh, for the record. Uh, back at the bar, uh, Daryl loses the push-up bet, and then he runs up the driveway to shave off a couple. Uh, at tracks, Al makes the announcement that there will be a cut tomorrow, and they go to Bikram Yoga with Tori. And did you know that Tori has a Bikram Yoga studio here in Portland, Oregon? No She hey, does. Maybe we'll have to go there sometime. Again. Yeah. At tracks, Shad throws up. Uh, we see more forward bumping, and Daryl is confident that he's a shoo-in since he's big, and his logic is not wrong. Uh, the group likes Taylor's chances in the woman's side. Uh, jo big John, Tori, Al, and Taz go through the candidates. Al and Taz really like Polina. Taz hates Daryl. Uh, at the grocery store, uh, Daryl uh, works off some more of those push-ups uh, by taking off his shirt and running through the grocery store. Uh, but it tracks... Uh, it's the end of the line for Mr. Daryl. He gets the red tag in his locker, and he's confused about being the first one actually cut from the show. 
a little bit of a change of pace here in episode five. We finally see some repercussions, and I feel like the show maybe just slightly started to turn the corner here. What What do you think? Yeah, it felt like here it started to have a little bit more structure. Um, they talk about the chairs being folded up and put against the wall like tombstones. So finally they're naming why they're putting them against the wall and this kind of ceremonial thing that they're trying to interject but hadn't really fully conceptualized. Um, They finally have a way that they're going to cut people with this um, tag in your locker. Go find it. You're being cut. Um, In this episode, too, I remember talking to you about how Daryl kind of reminds me of a modern, like, Olmos. Is that his name? Oh. Um, Just like a a guy who's, like, clearly stands out as bigger than everybody else. Exactly. Like, he is just... Hired because he's big. Yes, exactly. Hired because he's big. And I don't really know what he does, but I know he's big and I know he's scary. Um, And so... He kind of has that kind of a presence, and I think it really showed with him being the first one who was cut that that wasn't enough, that they were then saying, you've got to have both. You can't just be big. Kind of making that, like, is it more important to have the physique or the personality? They're saying you can't just have physique. There was criticism that I read, and in hindsight, I maybe kind of agree with it, although I was annoyed by Daryl, and I was glad to see him go. Definitely. But but there was a, a, a kind of a dynamic in the house that was lost when he left. Mm-hmm. And he left in episode five, and we're going to cover 13 episodes. Yeah. So, you know, I think it, it could have been said that had they kept Daryl around just a little bit longer, there were other people that were clearly never going to win this competition still around, Chris Nifong, for example, uh, and a couple of others that I think could have been eliminated early in the show. You know, the dynamic of the show may have been a little bit more reality show-ish, whereas kind of from here on out, with some exceptions, it kind of just becomes a group of pals all trying to make it into the wrestling business. Yeah, well, and almost from here on out, there's no more competition really for Chris Nowinski. There's no other really big guy. Mm-hmm. So now they've kind of got this thing where they have, like, one, okay, we've got our big guy if we want to go with a big guy. Now they have, like, three or four kind of mid-range guys mm-hmm. that they've got to sort through. Now they have, like, four women that they've kind of got to sort through. Mm-hmm. But they've really kind of got, and they have, like, their two or three small guys. And Josh and, Josh and Shad. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Yeah. So they're kind of in this point where they're, kind of starting to get their four, like the front runners in all of these different categories. And then they're just going to have to decide what category reigns supreme here. If that makes sense. It absolutely does. Episode six, a walk on the wild side, July 26, 2001. Uh, Shad is uh, sick, but pushing through. And Miss Jacqueline is rooting hard for Shad. Uh, In the ring, Taz works with Josh on holds. Uh, Al says Josh is at a clear disadvantage because of his size. Uh, Chris Nifong is also struggling to keep up. Uh, They go to Lucky Chang's, a drag bar, where Big buys Nydia a lap dance, and this is clearly culturally shocking to Chris Nowinski and Greg. Uh, Maven does a drag routine, and back at tracks, uh, Tori is not at all happy with Shad's uh, bumping style. Uh, Big brings the group pizza, and they uh, they watch film, and they watch wrestling. Uh, but Josh, Josh won't watch wrestling with the group because they don't know what's really going on. And at this point, I would like to formally state that the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast does not endorse gatekeeping. Uh, we learned that Maven's mom has bone marrow cancer uh, and that there will be another cut down this week. Uh, back at Trags, we work on, they work on arm drags and, and Chad is crying because he's struggling. And Al pulls Chad aside and says he doesn't know pressure. He says this is nothing compared to, and listen to the phrasing of this, Vince McMahon and 20,000 people watching your match. (laughs) If there was any question uh, who the wrestling in the WWF is actually for. 
And Chris Nifong and Shad are both struggling and dressed down by Al for making the same mistakes over and over again. And let's hear how that goes. Chris, gotta stop that, Chris. Yes, yeah. gotta stop, quit doing that bunny hop. Chris, 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 Chris. That is unacceptable. You need to change that immediately. Do you need to ask? I guess that was kind of a shock to me because I thought I could just bust in here and be something, I don't know, phenomenal. But I'm not going to count myself out yet. You cannot continue to do that. If you do continue to do that, we'll not allow you to do this. You'll to hurt yourself or somebody else. Yes, sir. Good. Stop, both of you. I'm glad that you both did that. Now you know exactly what you have been doing to everybody else on both accounts, on the hip toss and the arm drag. Please continue to do so when you do it with Shadrick so that he can now experience what you just did, so that he can know what he's doing to everybody else like you are. At tracks, Al and Jackie uh, with Tori and Big uh, make decisions. Josh gets mixed reviews. Chris Nifong gets mostly negative reviews. Uh, Jackie is on an island for Shad. Al and everybody else uh, pretty well don't like him. At the house, Chris Nifong recognizes that it's down to he and Shad, and the next day it is Shad who gets the boot, and Miss Jackie is very sorry to see him go. Uh, I will just say about this, I was waiting for Chris Nifong to just be gone. I felt like I have no idea why he stuck around as long as he did. He contributed nothing to the show, and I really like Shad. I understand that he probably wasn't going to win this because, you know, he wasn't as good of a worker and he wasn't as... Uh, as uh, charismatic as Josh and he and Josh were competing against each other primarily you know for that small guy spot but I I really would have liked to see Shad continue here and Nifong get the boot. My notes at this point say at some point I forgot that Josh and Chris were different people that's how forgettable Chris was to me he looked enough like Josh with that like very 2001 uh, haircut (laughs) that they both had that wasn't quite a skater boy but was like a little shaggy um they looked enough alike that I forgot that they were different people. I just thought they were both Josh. So that's how, in my mind, forgettable of a character. And, like, yeah, why was he even there still? Um, What were your thoughts on... Uh, I felt like that Al and, and Shad interaction was a little bit awkward because Al, to this point, had been... And I think he was. I think it was a little bit of a tough love approach. But this was the first time where Al, you know, wasn't really, you know, wasn't the, the shoulder to cry on and it wasn't the, the, the supportive, you know, uh, person. This was Al kind of telling Shad, like, look, if this is if this is too much for you to handle, then good luck on, yeah. the, you know, on the main show. It's not going to get easier from here. This is just the start of how much you're always going to be in pain. You're always going to be hurting. Like, you either are OK with that or get out. I guess I was just surprised because typically when you see uh, a, one of the judges advocating so strongly for a contestant that that person tends to stick around mm-hmm. maybe even a little longer than they than they deserve. Episode 7, Bahamas or Bust, airing August 2nd, 2001. And as we know, Pauline has been working through that knee injury since episode 2. Uh, everyone has a chance to have family visit. There's going to be a drawing. Uh, but first we go to tracks, and it's Kurt Angle. And he's there, and he's wearing the fake medals. Uh, Kurt talks about his character in the three eyes. He reminds us that he won the gold medal in 1996. Uh, Kurt says he turned down Vince McMahon's initial offer, but he became hooked after watching Raw. Uh, Kurt uh, recalls learning that wrestling is a real athletic endeavor. 
Kurt lies and says he doesn't regret turning down the original multi-million dollar contract he was offered, and that's Mark Henry cackling from Silsby, Texas. Uh, Kurt talks a lot and says very little, uh, but then he goes into the ring and trains with them, and Kurt tries to teach them psychology and selling, and then uh, Kurt lets them know that they're going to the Bahamas. So before we go to the Bahamas, Heather, you wanted to speak on Kurt Angle. Yeah, I was really surprised by him as a guest because he really talked about how after he won his gold medal, he was offered this deal and how he looked down on wrestling and how he just thought it was so fake and he thought, like, no way in a million years. It's ridiculous. Um, I just thought that was really, like, interesting and maybe it was, like, too honest. I don't know. I recognize that, like impulse because I think that that's a stigma that's out there in the world right like people kind of have this like it's fake it's fake whatever um but then he did talk about the athleticism in it and how he was surprised I just thought that was kind of jarring how it's like yeah there's like really a lot of athleticism in this this is not um just a a put on show there's choreography there's like real work being done and at one point um Hal in some of the like special features I can't remember what episode it was in but he talks about how it's kind of a traveling show and they're all the show that travels together and really works together um all year long and well, well, Vince, so Vince McMahon has been called a modern day P.T. Barnum yeah exactly it's exactly that and it's just kind of like striking how little credit I think people even who are like in similar industries and in like this kind of larger world of wrestling, how little credit they give to what kind of work goes into these matches. That's, 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 uh, I don't think anybody could argue with that insight. What irritated me about Kurt Angle being a guest on this show is Kurt Angle is somebody who is kind of an athletic unicorn Mm -hmm. in that he immediately took to wrestling and within two years of starting his training was world champion right which no one else would ever and it's kind of funny because he did specifically talk about earning not being given and then here he is jumping the line exactly and he jumped the line for i would say exceptionally defensible reasons and i think it's worked out and and you've mentioned to me how he stands out as somebody who you enjoy watching when we watch the when we watch wwf because he's different than everyone else. Right, right. And I think you made I think I made you watch that match with him and Benoit WrestleMania yeah. three or four times <laughs> while I was taking notes for it. So, Ugh. you know, we're not going to we're not going to talk about that. Uh, we're explicitly not going to talk about that. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, Kurt Angle is is a unicorn and maybe not the best uh, example to give these people who none of which are, are uh, very clearly anywhere near Kurt Angle's level of potential uh, athleticism and and charisma. Uh, before we go to the Bahamas, two things. Uh, we see Chris Nowinski reading The Fountainhead, which is about right. Uh, and Paulina gets an MRI of that, knocky, of that knobby knee, but we don't have the results yet. So we're in the Bahamas, and they swim with the eels and use the water slide. At the market, Josh tries to play a recorder. And Josh is everybody but Chris Nowinski's favorite. Uh, Paulina sadly can't keep up with everyone because of her knee. And Big, of course, is in the Bahamas, and he tries to give Paulina a boost of confidence. It seems like Big really wanted Polina to win this thing. I mean, she's six three for crying out loud. I know. And they had just. And the other thing to realize is China had just 
uh, around this time had hit the road. Yeah. So they're looking for that big, intimidating woman to come in and fill that spot. Right. And she definitely had that in terms of stature. I don't know if she had that in terms of personality. They would definitely have had to work hard on that aspect of it. But she was a standout in this whole thing, not because of her physical prowess by any means, or again, her personality, but just because of her size. She was so standout. What was interesting to me is at the end of this, um, they kind of talked to her and gave her this option, asked if she wanted to decide uh, if she wanted to continue or not. And like every risk management, every like compliance, everything was going off in my head like, no, she's not fit. Like safety. She should not be allowed to decide that when she has a broken bone. Like what is she going to do? Well, and, you know, for us, two people who work very, and I won't, I won't say how closely, but two people for us who work very closely with both healthcare and risk management, yeah. like this is, these are red flags that simply do not and have never gone off at WWF headquarters. <laughs> so you're thinking well beyond what anybody affiliated with this show is thinking in terms of Paulina's well-being and the, the risk to the company. Uh, so we're still in the Bahamas and they draw names out of a hat to see who gets to come home. Uh, Josh and Greg get their names pulled, and Josh just won't stop with that fucking recorder. He's like Bill Alfonso. Uh, they go to a nightclub, and Chris Nowinski breaks off from the group. Uh, back at the hotel room, let's listen to Josh provoke a drunken Chris Nowinski. People aren't really fond of Chris as I thought they were. It's been a long time coming for uh, Big Chris's uh, persona to, you know, be unveiled. Hey! Who's letting me in, man? Thank you, Lydia. Who's up, fellas? Here we go. I'm watching the uh, Wheel of Fortune. Ah, Wheel of Fortune's a good one. Chris got, you know, a little inebriated, and I was aware of that. I heard you make a ass of yourself tonight. What did you say? I heard you made an ass of yourself tonight. Who's going to do that? Uh, you guys over here. I think he uh, would like to take advantage of me being smaller than him for whatever reason. He seems like a bully. I was purposely trying to piss Chris off because he got drunk and acting like an idiot. You know, and that bothered him because he's got this, you know, he tries to protect his image a lot, you know. I found out that it's, it's pretty easy to get under Chris's skin. You know, I'm sure I'll, you know, I'll piss him off again. You know, maybe the next time I'm bored. So we then learned that Greg's girlfriend was planning to have surgery and he had sold his uh, family uh, visitor spot to Chris Nowinski. But now we learn that Greg's girlfriend's surgery was canceled, but Chris won't give him the spot back. At tracks, they go hard in the ring, uh, but the doctors have said that Paulina has a lot of issues with her knee. Uh, She needs to stay off it a while. Uh, The trainers aren't inclined to let her continue. So there you go. But... The next day, she decides to withdraw. She gives all the trainers cards. She says she hopes to be back. And and there does seem to be, you know, a higher degree of optimism for Paulina having a future post tough enough than really anybody else that we've seen uh, so far be be eliminated or withdraw. So episode seven ends with Paulina withdrawing. You know, what are your thoughts at this point? Yeah, at this point, it's kind of down to slim pickings on the girls. I think Paulina was the last big interesting girl to not big in terms of size but she was really the last one who was a standout personality the other three i believe who are left um were kind of just samey to me at this point they'll start to stand out a little bit more in future episodes but um 
Paulina leaving was a big disappointment. I was really hoping that she would take better care of herself and make it through. And with Paulina leaving, with almost half the show to go, it was down to just Nydia and Taylor. Yeah. And at this point, too, we still haven't seen any more eliminations. We still aren't quite sure what the actual framework of this show is. Yeah, it's almost like Daryl's elimination was an outlier and not, not like the norm, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's all just by default. Is everyone in the show going to get hurt and we're just going to get down to the last two people by, like, they just hung on long enough? Uh, and I will note the reality show trope of taking the group on a tropical vacation. Full swing in this episode. Wouldn't that be nice? We need to go on a reality show. I'd rather not have to train uh, in the ring for four hours and instead just go to the Bahamas <laughs> on my own dime. Fair. So we go to episode eight, which is called, well... <laughs> It's called Injuries Start Piling Up. So what, you know? what are the other seven episodes supposed to be about? August 9, 2001. Uh, and we uh, start the episode with Al giving the remaining group a pep talk due to all the injuries. Uh, they practice arm drags and buckle spots. And Nydia hurts her calf. Uh, and Greg says that he's uh, worried about herniating or aggravating a prior herniated disc in his back. We see Al Snow demonstrating body slam on Chris Nowinski, and it was at this point I explained, and go back and watch this, and watch Al's hand positioning relative to Chris Nowinski's <laughs> very sensitive areas, uh, clearly uh, trying to rib him and or teach him a lesson, or as they call it now, easy. sexually harass <laughs> Chris Nowinski. Uh, Josh is struggling physically. Uh, Jackie and Tori talk about getting used to taking bumps and kind of callousing your body. Um, they do some uh, training matches and sequences and then review the game film and go to WWF headquarters. We're quickly back at the house, and Nydia's really struggling with her injuries. At tracks, we see Matt and Jeff Hardy here with Lita. Matt Hardy gives them a pep talk. Uh, Al tells Josh that he and Nydia are going to sit out again, and Josh is bummed out to not be able to work with the Hardys. Uh, Josh uh, cried in the bathroom, in fact, uh, and we see the rest of the crew taking bumps from the Hardys and Lita. Uh, at this point, there seems to be a, a thought that Taylor was the clear front runner on the women's side. Um, and now we see Greg having major back pain, and Greg is also crying to Al about, about his ailments. Uh, the next day, uh, Greg is much worse. Um, but there's positive things to say about Nydia suddenly, and, and let's hear what the group has to say about Nydia after a training match with Taylor. Nydia, so, you know, like it really impressed me when we worked in a match Friday is that she was totally in control and had a match in her head she wanted to do that made sense. And she's really starting to understand that stuff. You've been kicking ass and all of a sudden, here comes a little princess. I'm, I'm Cinderella and I'm running to the ball. Ready? Uh, mm. I really want this contract. I really want for my life to change. I would like to continue this lifestyle in a weird, wacko way just because it's so intense. Everything's very intense, and I don't want to go back to Bland. I couldn't go back to it. So we see here Nydia and Taylor just kind of, you know, like like a horse race. One's in front, one's falling back, and right. this is going to continue. Uh, we close the show with Greg coming back to tracks. He's been seen by a doctor, but we're not going to get the results until Monday. So episode eight, we see basically everybody, everybody is either hurt uh, or questioning their ability, except for Nydia, and this was kind of the... At the end of the episode, it was like suddenly that Nydia just comes onto the scene and, and here she is as a viable contender. Yeah, it was really interesting because I thought for a second that Taylor was really starting to look more natural. Really, they were starting to play her up a little bit. But then suddenly, yeah, Nydia got the spotlight and she was the one that they were focusing on. Um, 
I also wrote down here that I still keep getting the two guys mixed up, Josh and Chris, even at this point, like three episodes later. Chris Nifong. Chris Nifong, who, yeah. For, for the record, and has basically disappeared from being anywhere on the show. Who is he? What is like, he? Zero personality. So boring. So again, I get them mixed up. Chris just needs to go. He just needs to leave the show. There's no point of having him there. Um, I am just so astounded by how many people are getting so injured. I don't know if I just expected more caution on the, not caution even, but just more knowledge coming into this for these people. Um, I expected them to be more like stunt people, be more into acrobatics, have a little bit more of that natural grace. Um, but there are a lot of injuries that seem really preventable and are just because they're making bad choices. Well, let's see if anybody improves. Uh, episode 9 called Yale's Number 1, August 16, 2001. We start at tracks and they all compare the rope marks. And uh, we see Greg at the doctor's office. Uh, his x-rays were negative, fortunately, but the doctors recommended now an MRI. Uh, at tracks, though, everybody else seems to be turning the corner training-wise. Uh, and we go to the WWF gym where Al explains the circle game. Now, you played the circle game uh, when you were younger, right around this time in the early 2000s. The circle game, of course, or whatever it is, is you take your hand and you make a circle with your thumb and your index finger below your waist. And if someone looks at it, you get to slug them or, or whatever the, the, the stipulations are. You were familiar with this, right? Yeah, yeah. I remember everyone would try to get each other and you'd get like a slap usually or something like so, that if you looked. Yeah, perhaps a definitively American thing, but maybe not. Let us know. Uh, anyway, Al says that he is the uh, the the best uh, circle game player in the WWF, and Maven challenges Al uh, that Al can't get him, and the loser has to wear lingerie on a horse in downtown Stanford. Uh, Chris joins the bet, uh, and Chris's stipulation that if he loses, he has to walk around Yale University uh, saying that Harvard sucks uh, with, with a sign and, and whatnot. Uh, so we go back to the house, and Greg said that Josh is his uh, good friend in the house. And it's girlfriend time. Uh, Chris Nowinski and Josh's girlfriend show up. Uh, we then cut to a nightclub where Chris Nowinski complains that his girlfriend is slowing his roll. Oh, gosh. We then see Josh and his girlfriend have an argument. And let's take a listen to that right now. Being here put strain on the relation, on my relationship with my girlfriend, you know? I think it would put strain on any relationship with anybody. I mean, she goes to work every day, you know? I get to go and wrestle every day. You're everything to me. Good. But when it comes down to it, and... I'm gonna be sitting at home by myself, dwindling my thumbs. See, yeah. where's my husband at? Oh, is he at this bar? That's a shame because I'm at home. And we're in the reality now to where the fact that I, that I can win this thing. We haven't really sat down and had a conversation about what would happen if I was to win. The, my wives, biggest, my the biggest... wives of WWF wrestlers. I mean, Jamie, what I'm trying to tell you is. I have the worst lives. They do. You expect me to sit at home and watch you wrestle and raise my. Our kids? No. I don't care if you're tough enough or whatever you want to call it. I understand. I, I don't care I understand where you're the biggest from. rock I have on my finger. I don't care the biggest home I have. I understand. It's not going to happen. Anyway, really quickly, uh, thoughts on, on the girlfriends and, and how these guys just kind of generally treated them. Okay, well, with Josh's girlfriend, like, shouldn't they have had this argument before? Like, shouldn't they have known that this would be the lifestyle? And I'm, like, perpetually surprised by... How many contestants in this didn't seem to know what they were getting into, sort of, like, as the saying goes. But, like, I don't know how they didn't realize this. Like, 
Why is this an argument that they're having now when they're in the thick of it? I can't believe that they would not realize if this was actually going to happen. Hey, what would this mean for our futures? Chris, on the other hand, is turning into quite the douchebag. Like, I, the way he's talking about his girlfriend, so disposable, such a jerk. Like, he surprises me and he's kind of the one who brings the most, like, drama and the most, like, deviousness when he seems like this all-American good guy, blonde hair, blue eyes, Ivy League, like, whatever guy. But he's kind of a jerk. He's kind of that, like, the epitome of the Harvard-Yale douchebag. And so back at tracks, and this is where we see Chris Nowinski get his terms for the circle bet. Uh, he has to carry a sign that says Harvard sucks through Yale and his boxers. Uh, and Al just quickly works them both, and Chris Nowinski immediately loses the circle game. Uh, Greg's doctor calls. Greg has multiple herniated disc in his, discs in his lower back. At Yale, we see Chris paying off his bet. Uh, Josh girlfriend, Josh's girlfriend leaves, and he's somehow optimistic that she'll stick with him. At tracks, uh, Chris Nowinski and Josh work hammerlocks. And we cut to Dr. McGinnis, who tells Greg that he needs to stop wrestling. At tracks, Greg has to withdraw, and everyone is sad. We close with Greg withdrawing due to uh, multiple herniated discs in his spine. Yet another medical withdrawal. I think we've only had one elimination. Or no, two, Shadrick. Shadrick and Daryl were both uh, eliminated. Yep. It seems like Greg almost didn't disclose this herniated disc history before getting on the show because it, it seems surprising when he told Al about it. Like, oh, wait, you have what? Like, they probably wouldn't have let him compete if they had known that he had such a potentially, like, a potential weakness. Like, that's a big risk right there. Well, and he, he came in for Tom, too. Yeah. So, like, he almost didn't make it. And sure. it seems like here... He really did a number on his back, uh, and it just shows you that like a big, strong guy like this can go through some of this and, and, and go down go down just like everybody else. I thought at this point the show was maybe treading water a little bit, trying to trying to try, weed out the rest of these people and, and get to the get to the finale. I, I think there were some, you know, like with the circle game and with the scene at Harvard. I understand or the scene at Yale. All these shows have to have certain elements to them, but there, there were, some of these episodes had quite a bit of filler, and, and they weren't very long, 25 minutes each or so. I will say, though, that that filler kind of made it more in line with other reality shows of that time, because now we're starting to see some of the personalities. Now we're starting to see kind of some of the behind-the-scenes-like footage, which is what you see a lot in these, like, America's Next Top Model, um, Project Runway. It's not a lot of the actual competition and a lot of the actual being judged and you know showing off your skills it's a lot of the who do I like the best based on their personality based on the way that they interact with others the drama in the house it had a lot more of that feel which engaged me more as a reality tv show watcher is I finally started to get a little bit more interested in it because I finally started to have some buy-in to who these people are. Whereas before I was like, I don't care who wins. Like, I don't like any of these people. Now I started to finally see a little bit of personality and a little bit of dynamics. All right, we're speeding through this. Episode 10, Have a Nice Day, air date August 23, 2001. And we open with Chris Nifong picking his toes while talking in the phone, talking about injuring people. He's been nicknamed CK, the career killer. And I'll note that, like, this is the first we've learned about really much of any of this. Nickname. Uh, it, yes. It's the first time that it's been brought up in several episodes. Uh, and at tracks, we see Mick Foley. Uh, and Mick Foley reads uh, 
blurbs from his new book, Foley is Good, about Al and Taz and a proposed commercial with Jerry Seinfeld. Uh, Mick effectively tells the group to lie about their acumen to get hired. <laughs> and Mick talks about his early days, which we'll listen to now. The truth is, I hated it so badly when I, when I got into it. I mean, it's hard work. There's nothing fun, I don't think, about, about being slammed and being beaten up. When I started, I was in there about six or seven guys who had about four more months training than I did. So the only thing they knew how to do was beat me up. You know, they didn't know how to put a match together. They didn't know how to do anything that was pleasing to the eye, but they knew how to work their moves on me. So it was, it was miserable. And I remember walking about, you know, 50 yards from the uh, Admiral Perry $15 a night motor lodge to the Ponderosa where I was springing for an $8 dinner. And it took me about 10 minutes to go those 50 yards. You know, it's, it was miserable. And I remember thinking, I can't believe I've gotten myself into this. And I, I don't know if any of you ever felt that way about it before and, and just carried through because of pride. I don't know how pride ever made its way onto the list of seven deadly sins because I happen to think it's a pretty good thing. And I don't think any of us would be here if we didn't have a certain amount of it, right? Mick also gives them warnings about life on the road. Uh, he tells them to enjoy reading, and Mick's comments were effectively the opposite of, of Triple H. Yeah, that was my impression, too, is that I thought he was kind of a good foil to Triple H, where he really gave them the hope that if you want a family, you can have a family. If you want, like, to have friends and have some normalcy and have some structure, you can choose to have that. But then he also said, you're going to give up this life the rock star lifestyle the rock star yeah. yeah so no you can't have it both but you can make a choice here i thought that of the hosts or not host the guests he was really the most good spirited of all of them where he was really the most that was like no you guys you don't have to flame out like this is fun ha 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 like let's like it's good old boy kind of fun um attitude to it which was there's really a wholesome different. way to do this there's a wholesome that's a great way of saying it there's a wholesome way of doing this you don't have to go down that path if you don't want and i can show you that it's possible because that's what i did um and i thought that that was really cool to kind of see this other side where I was agreeing with Triple H and I was like, yeah, you have to give up all these things if you want this. And cool if you're that type of person and if you are that very specific personality type that is okay with giving up all this other stuff uh, for this very specific lifestyle. But here he's saying, no, you don't have to make that choice. And I thought that was really cool. And uh, positive Mick, uh, leads their training and afterwards we cut to some bonus footage and he says they're doing quite well for having six weeks of experience he says that he was nowhere near this far along after his first six weeks in the ring uh chris nifung continues to struggle with moves uh, to the extent that al ties him up Stu hart style uh, and really puts a hold on him and says that he needs to be more careful uh, josh's girlfriend is struggling in his absence and Maven's mom is unfortunately in the hospital and not doing all that well. So Alan Big encouraged Maven to go home for a couple of days to see his mom. The rest of the group goes rock climbing with Big. Josh wins the rock climbing competition. Uh, and then we see Maven uh, at the hospital with his mom. Josh talks about missing his girlfriend and wanting to go home. Um, Maven asked for a, a couple more uh, days to stay with his mom and at this point it seemed like maven was maybe on the cusp of dropping out yeah. as well yeah they were definitely flirting with that idea and it was interesting because during that time the other contestants really rallied around maven which i think is unique i think that that was more of like a british bake-off type of a 
attitude where it's like, oh, we're all in this together. Yay, we're on one team. This is the competition, but we want everyone to win. Kind of a feel where they made him cards and they really like put them in his room and talked a lot about how much they missed him. Um, And then he like stayed with his mom and he saw his mom and that was like a really beautiful thing. And it was really cool to see you know, at this time, it was really big in reality TV to have that conflict and that constant, like, um, like I think Hell's Kitchen came out, was very contemporary to this, um, where there's screaming, there's yelling, there's constant, like, tearing down Simon Cowell, another, like, good, um, in the time mm-hmm. representative of that, where it was a lot of this, like, negativity and, like, that was the fun of it, is seeing them get ripped to pieces. But here we have this, like, one little gem of an episode where these people are all, like, you see they're actually, like, good people. And this was, to me, the most feel-good episode because they kind of rallied as, like, hey, we are good people. We, like, care about this person who's going through a very human thing um, and shared it in the episode. Yeah. And, of course, the British Bake Off uh, is what our British fans call the Bake Off. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So at the house, uh, Big tries to boost everyone's spirits. Um, And and now, kind of out of nowhere, Chris Nifong decides to drop out, and we can all rejoice. Yeah, that was kind of a little surprise thing where they were making it seem like it was going to be Josh. It's going to be Josh. And then, nope, it was actually Chris. And I thought that was a relief to the show because it was time beyond time for him to go home yeah he basically disappeared for three or four episodes came back established that he was exceptionally dangerous and then asked to leave uh, which you and i discussed uh was that possibly a mutual decision but then why wouldn't they have just cut him yeah that might be our risk management minds thinking again like hey we'll give you the out you can just step away if if you'll step away please leave And we close the show with Maven returning uh, with his mom's blessing. And he tells Josh in confidence that his mom isn't doing very well. And that's the end of episode 10. And so anything else to to add to that beyond what we've discussed with with Mick Foley and and with Maven? And and I will say at this point, um, I think the the rest of the show, especially the next two episodes before the finale, were probably the highlights. Yeah. And it it was clear that like once Chris and I finally left, and at this point we're left with Josh and Chris Nowinski and Maven on the men's side, and um and uh, Nydia and um Taylor on the women's side and I think these were probably the five that and we discussed it even at the uh, in episode one these were five of the folks that really stood out even from the beginning right now we're finally to the cast members who actually want to be there that's a big thing again in reality tv where in the bachelor they're always like are they there for the right reason now we're finally to the people who are there for the right reason we're to the people who are in the wrestling world who have the athletic chops who have personality who can stand out make themselves be seen finally we are in the competition part of the show all right, episode 11, Lessons from the Road, August 30, 2001. So we're at tracks, and Al says he's bringing the team to the pay-per-view in Chicago, Raw the next night in Milwaukee, and then SmackDown on Tuesday in Indianapolis. On the phone, Taylor tells her mom that she thinks she'll win, and her mom says she doesn't want her to win because she doesn't want her to be a wrestler. How supportive. <laughs> at, th- at that point, I kind of wanted Taylor to win, just like, hey, screw you, mom. We'll see what happens. 
In Chicago, they work with the ring crew and then watch the show. And it was at this point that I explained to you that the referees are also uh, lead the ring crew, which was surprising to you. Yeah, that was so interesting. And it makes so much sense. Here are these people who have, you know, 30 minutes, maybe an hour of showtime where they're actually on and doing their job. What do they do with the rest of the time? They're traveling. They're there. What I That makes so much sense. And it's so utility of them. And I think that's wonderful. <laughs> and tickle the little thing and somewhere in my mind the the, the curiosity oh that's how that works yeah yeah yeah. exactly and so after the show they go out and taylor gets flat drunk and hits on maven in the van and we see josh asleep playing the role of scott hall Uh, they go to chris nowinski's parents house the next morning and and taylor is hung over so hung over in fact that she throws up in their bathroom uh, and everybody's very polite Uh, and chris nowinski's parents are surprisingly positive and normal yeah, this really started kind of as the Taylor episode, I feel like. It really started as um, ta- poor Taylor. Her parents are so against her doing this, so unsupportive, to the point where it's almost like a rebellion that she is doing this. Um, and then she gets drunk and, like, acts out and it makes kind of a fool of herself. And then you cut to going to Chris Nowinski's parents where they're just this kind Midwest family that's, like, so wholesome. So kind of what the idyllic American household is, right? So nuclear, kind of. Um, and we see Taylor coming in kind of a little bit of a bumbling mess mm-hmm. in this situation where she's throwing up in their bathroom uh, because she's so hungover, because she's acting out, because her parents don't like her being there. A typical it's, University of Washington behavior. <laughs> it's such a, like, childish thing, but they do a really good job of, like, setting it up to be um, really just such a difference between the two um, who come from similar backgrounds, it would seem, but have had such different paths because of the support of their family is kind of what it's leading to. And so we're backstage at Raw, and they do promo work with the Brooklyn Brawler, which you now have to listen to since we did. Hi, China. How you doing? So I hear in the back that you've been talking smack. Well, it ain't going to happen. Come Judgment Day, it's going to be me and you. Sure, you got the muscles, but can you keep up with Nidia. Is that good? That's pretty good. Okay, let's go. Three, two. China, currently in the WWF, yes, you are the women's champion. You deserve it. You're huge. You're big. You're tall. You got big old muscles. I'd like to introduce myself. I'm Taylor. I'm short. My muscles are maybe not as tall, but I got something that you don't have, and that is the wit and ability to win that darn woman's title from you. So I don't know what you're going to do about it, but we'll have to come see come Judgment Day. Me and you, Rhino, you're big, you're bigger than me, you got more experience than me, but Rhino, I'm the sponge, and I suck up everything. Sunday, me and you, I'm gonna beat you, because I'm from Europe, and I'm the sponge, and the European title will be mine. God, sucks the life out of this room. Dude, I just slipped into a coma. (laughs) Undertaker, you've had a decade of destruction. One of the greatest wrestlers ever to grace the WWF. Six foot ten, 320 pounds. My God, you're impressive. But you know what? I'm ready to take over. You know what? I got one thing you don't have. I've been trained by Al Snow. So come Judgment Day on Sunday, you're mine. Al didn't train to say that. (laughs) And so I've said here that Nydia and Taylor both cut awkward but ultimately you know fine promos yeah. uh, josh josh cuts a promo on rhino and they invite rhino to watch it uh, and there's a downtown bruno sighting 
They call him the sponge. The sponge. He tried yeah. to call himself the headlock machine or the human headlock machine, but they're like, no, you're the sponge. You're the sponge. So this little guy is now the sponge. So that's a thing. Uh, so in, in wrestling lore, uh, for example, uh, I might butcher the story, but there, there's a guy called Eric Bischoff okay. uh, who. Uh, very early in his career, uh, the rumors that he auditioned to be an announcer with the WWF, uh-huh. and his his pitch was his audition was that he had to sell a broom, okay. so they gave him a broom and said sell this. <laughs> okay. And th- this may not have been Bischoff. These stories get traded around, but the point sure. is like, they do this to everybody, right? Uh-huh. They say you have to do this weird kind of thing that doesn't make sense. Perform for me, monkey. But sell it. Yeah. Right. Um, Chris then cuts a promo on the Undertaker, uh, and it's awkward. Uh, so uh, Chris does prom- uh, does push-ups saying he's not the Undertaker's bitch. And you will have seen um, Al Snow be uh, very annoyed and uh, embarrassed that Chris said that he could beat the Undertaker because he was trained by Al Snow. The Undertaker is kind of an untouchable person backstage. Gotcha. So Don't go there. You wouldn't want to, like, you wouldn't want the Undertaker to think that, you know, that Al Snow had said that, like, this guy can beat you because it's a, sure. it's a bunch of children, you know, kind of working themselves like into Al the shoot. R- right. Uh, so Coach is back there, and he's also not pleased with Chris and Coach. And then Kevin Kelly's there, another announcer, uh, bust Chris's balls. And then Maven cuts a decent promo on Raven, and Maven clearly has some charisma here. So the next night we're in Milwaukee, uh, and Josh finds an Al Snow-type fanny pack and wig. Uh, so then it, they're at catering, and Josh tells Taz that he weighs 130 pounds. How can you be 130 pounds and be a full-grown man? And, he's And, like, in that athletic... Sphere. Yeah, Taz tells him to eat more ice cream. <laughs> uh, not not me, but Josh. Uh, several I'll of the <laughs> several of the guys uh, that we've already seen before uh, say hello to the group, uh, and then we see the Dudleys there as well, being quite polite. Uh, and then we see that Al and Miss Jacqueline have had matches taped for Metal, which is like a tertiary show. Um, and back at tracks, and there's optimism. The group seems to be getting it. Yeah, they really seem to like that lunchtime with the pros there where they were kind of hanging out. And Nydia said that she had a crush on one of the Hardy boys. Oh, I Jeff think. Hardy, yeah. Yeah, and she's like, oh. Nobody has my... a crush on Matt. <laughs> um, it was just really a funny, like, fangirl moment where here and now they're finally with the people that they want to be peers with. And they're in that room, like, literally in the room eating with them, literally at the table. Um, and I just thought that was kind of a cool little moment where you can see that they're so not them, like they're so an outside element, but it's their first little toe dip into like really rubbing elbows with these people. Yeah. This was, to me, this was the, probably the best or one of the best episodes of the show because we had that core group and they were doing things that were directly related to like what they'd be doing. And so you know, in prior episodes, we had Chris at Yale and we had the trip to the Bahamas and we had all this other stuff. And here they went to Raw to cut promos, you know, with the Brooklyn, Brooklyn Brawler, who's the, the promo coordinator for, for the WWF at this time. And This is what know, they're practicing for. Exactly. And all the guys that were in there, your Kevin Kellys and your Jonathan Coachmans, those are all announcers that are going to, you know, have to put these guys over and have to sell them to the audience. And, mm-hmm. you know, and then you also got to see some of the more awkward backstage dynamics, too, with everybody kind of dancing around The Undertaker, for example. So, yep. yeah, this this is, uh, to me, this was kind of the episode of the show that made me think, gosh, the show, you know, and, and we'll talk about how we felt about the whole thing at the end. But, like, uh, for me, like, more episodes like this probably would have been uh, preferred. Agreed. Uh, so two episodes left. Uh, and, and I will say here, interject at this point, uh, that uh, the... Uh, small matter of September 11th, 2001 uh, happened 
um, in America, in, in the United States, um, uh, and caused a delay of several weeks. And so episode 12, uh, called Beware of Rattlesnakes, uh, didn't air until September the 20th of 2001. So we learned that there's a week left in the competition. Um, Al likes Chris's smarts and Josh's athleticism, and he says Maven has charisma. Jackie really likes Taylor, uh, and Big likes Nydia's feminine qualities. Mm-hmm. Right. At the gym, they ask Al to show moonsaults. Um, and, and back at the house, a limo appears, and it's Stone Cold Steve Austin and Deborah. Austin rings the doorbell, but they don't answer. Austin gives them a hard time for not letting Deborah in the door first. Austin is like in character, and Nydia points this out too. Um, Austin tells stories from the road and talks about uh, coming up and eating, you know, his sack of potatoes and, and stories that we've all heard. I just want to know how it is being WWF as a woman. Females are pretty much, we're like the candles, and you have to respect the guys make money for the company. That's just the way it is. I would like to think that they're more than just candles. As a, you know, female viewer, I never thought that women had any less to contribute than the men. I'm not working to be a... A candle in the WWF. I want to be a big shining star. And then Deborah tells the women that their uh, role is to be uh, in support of the men because only the men make money for the company. She said, "We are the candles. They are the little light that flickers in the background, the dressing, if you will, to the men." And how did how did you feel about Deborah's comment? <clears throat> oh, well, I probably had a little bit more visceral reaction than the girls at least let on. The girls in the episode definitely did not like that, did not agree with that. And my reaction was, what'd she say? Like, what? Like, did, I must have heard that wrong. Surely she's not sitting here saying, I'm just this little sparkle in the background and I sparkle around the men and it's really the men's, the men do the men thing. And, like, I recognize that that is such a thing during that time period in wrestling. But, ooh, that just made, like, my innards clench. <laughs> and, it's like, no, you didn't, girl. <laughs> like, stop. Um, we close with uh, Stone Cold uh, telling them to stay away from the high-risk stuff and emphasize psychology. Good advice. At tracks, they practice moonsaults. And all, Al volunteers Josh to go first because Josh was the one who had asked. And Josh struggles with the moonsault. And he says he knows he can't win if he can't do high-risk moves. And then, of course, everybody else does them perfectly, making yeah. Josh's struggles all the more heartbreaking. Um, Chris then says uh, that he believes that he and Maven are the favorites. Um, on the phone, Big tells the group to bring bathing suits and a change of clothes tomorrow. Uh the next day, Big takes the group to a quarry for swimming. Josh is highly motivated, and Chris struggles and pouts. Josh wins the swimming competition. Uh, they then race up a rock pile without any gloves or knee pads. Oof. And this looks very painful. Uh, Josh, I believe Josh won this too, or maybe Maven did, but the point is Chris struggled big time. And Josh says that Chris handles losing like a baby. Uh, afterwards, they hang out and make a fire. Uh, Maven and Josh call Chris a brown noser for helping Big make the fire. Uh, back at tracks, Al teaches slaps. And here we see Ivory. Yeah. Former Glow Girl Ivory. Yeah, she was also very good-spirited. Very encouraging to the girls. Very much the opposite of Deborah, where she was very girl power. Very, like, own your strength girls, Hugo girl type of a person. I thought she was a really 
good element to the show. It was almost a necessary, like they couldn't just have Deborah saying, <laughs> right. when they're training these women to wrestle, and Deborah's not a wrestler for, for you know, Definitely. For, yeah. for the record. Like, And Ivory very much is a wrestler, and one of the best, you know, technical wrestlers, and certainly one of the best technical female wrestlers on the planet at this point. Um, and yeah, I thought it was great to see her pull them aside and say, you know, this is what you can be, and this is what your roles are, and your roles are changing. Yeah. Uh, she also gives her thoughts on the male contestants, which we'll listen to now. God, the kids are getting a great experience. Oh, I'd hate to be the one that has to pick. I think Chris's size is a really great factor. Now Josh has a lot of spunk. And Maven, he's pretty hes pretty talented. I, I see him being a, kind of a middle between the two. Maven, I just like to take out for cocktails. You know what I'm saying? So Ivory's favorite is clearly Maven. Uh, they practice moonsaults without the mat. And they all look good except for Chris. And Josh finally gets one right, and everybody's and everybody's happy for him, especially Al. And so at this point, we're 12 episodes through, and we just have the finale to go. So what are you thinking at this point? And uh, if I can put you on the spot, earlier on you had said Maven and Nydia. But who, what were you thinking at this point coming into the final episode? Yeah, so at this point, and I think, you know, looking back, I think I was definitely um, a victim of the editing of the show. But at this point, I was really rooting for Taylor because they had just focused so much on how she was kind of this underdog character and, like, no one wanted her to succeed, but she was here on her own will. And, like, that's a kind of a cool backstory. Um, I was into that. So I was thinking Taylor and then I was thinking Chris as the other one. Because, again, he was kind of being played up as this good boy, this, um, like, really big. They talked a lot about his size and how that was a really important factor. And I agree with that. I think that he could be kind of like a almost a Kurt Angle type of a character where he's this like all-American boy um you know midwest boy type of a thing where or the Ivy Leaguer the Ivy Leaguer like yeah. this big strong character and i think that he had the size and the physicality his personality was a little bit weaker um didn't quite land right but at this point that's who i was rooting for and who i could foresee winning um, and we talked about this, and, and we agreed at this, at this point. We thought Taylor was maybe a slight favorite on the women's yeah. side, and, and that Chris Nowinski was probably uh, uh, maybe a slight favorite on the men's side. But I think at this point, I would have said that Taylor and Nitty were probably relatively even, uh, whereas I was more confident in, in Chris as the, the front runner on the men's side for yeah. all the reasons you discussed. Yep. And so also we need to explain here that uh, there had initially intended to be a three-week delay between the last episode uh and the, uh, the last episode before the finale and the finale itself, um, September 11th happened. And so that caused an additional two week delay. And so the five finalists trained full time in the five weeks leading up to the live, sh the live uh, finale. Um, they were uh, in the ring four hours a day and worked out at the gym four or five days a week. Wow. They were paid for it, um, but they basically trained an extra two weeks on top of things because of 9-11 related production delays. It was amazing. One thing as I kind of, you know, really paused as we were getting ready to watch this finale and looked back at these characters, how much they had changed physically in that couple of weeks, however, was it six weeks, 12 weeks, whatever, however many weeks it was that they were actually there, just how much their bodies had physically changed, how toned they had become. You know, these people were working hard day in and day out. And it was like this reality show, obviously, but that you were also physically seeing them 
change in a very remarkable way. And you can really see that in this final episode as they start to kind of recap those few weeks. And then you cut to them all dressed and nice and everything. And, and they're, they're really yoked. See. They're totally... <laughs> so they're like in it. They're like cut. They're looking good. Yeah, absolutely. I noticed that too. It was incredible to watch them all the way through. And it makes you wonder if somebody like a... Like a Daryl, uh, who, you know... If he had pro- made it through. If he had made it through, what he would have looked like and, and yeah. come out on the other side, right? And yeah. so, yeah, you, you see it with Chris, you know... Have came to work in, with personality, though, too. Come in a little pudgy, and, and by the end of it, you're, you're, you're cutting lean, so... Yep. Uh, so, the uh, live finale, uh, September 27th, 2001, live. We're back in WWF New York uh, with our hosts uh, for the evening, Jonathan Coachman and Trish Stratus. Uh, we see all the finalists in the crowd. And we cut to a video recapping the final days of the competition. At the house, the finalists made dinner for the trainers. Uh, Big calls uh, Chris Nowinski Captain Caucasian. They play a tough enough board game that the finalists had made. Um, Big toasts the finalists, and they all talk about, again, how they thought Daryl would go a lot further. Um, They also liked Paula and Jason. Forget about Jason. Yeah, I totally Uh, forgot about him. Um, Josh puts on Al, his Al costume and uh, who Al, they look strikingly alike. They do. I, scary. <laughs> like if they look at the right angles, you would think it was like a Snapchat filter or something. Uh, yeah. And so we're back at tracks and they're working matches and Al sends it, says it's anyone's competition, uh, but I've written here, but not you, Josh. <laughs> um, and then we see the chairman, Vince McMahon, walking into tracks in his track suit to observe with uh, Kevin Dunn, Jim Cornette's favorite person. Um, where Maven and when Maven and Chris go, uh, I think Vince says that's good shit, pal. Um, and, and Vincent Dunn, uh, like Taylor's facials and her women's softball body. Oh, more cringe. And that was official, officially the creepiest, uh, thing on Tough Enough. Yeah. That gets the blue metal. All right. Yeah. The brown metal. Ugh. At Titan Towers, uh, they then, all the finalists meet with Vince McMahon and Kevin Dunn. And, and let's take a listen to this. Man, this is Josh. Hey, Josh. Hi. Hi. Mr. Dunn, nice to meet you. How are you? Mr. Hey, Good. How are you? Good. Nice to meet you. Okay. How are you feeling? Oh, overwhelmed. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Are you? Yeah. What about this business intrigues you the most? Absolutely everything. From the entertainment value to the, uh, you know, I've been watching this my whole life. You know, mm-hmm. uh, WrestleMania 2 was when I first started watching wrestling. Oh. And ever since then, I've been hooked. I think the World Wrestling Federation is one of the classiest organizations I've ever been around. It's a thinking man sport. Mm-hmm. It definitely is. Well, everybody that I've met from the WWF has such a great heart. We do care about what we do. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that shows. Yeah, it does. I didn't know how hard it would be. You know, I always thought these guys, like, took bumps in ways that didn't make it hurt for some reason. I don't know how that was possible because, you know. Right. I mean, obviously, it looks painful, and it is. The next person that tells me wrestling is fake, I might, I might completely go off on them. <laughs> uh, that's cool. What's the toughest thing about Tough Enough? Sticking with it is almost more mentally challenging than physical. I mean, so you get hurt, you know, and your body aches, and but it's just, you know, you're away from your friends and your family. At the beginning, I didn't think I could make it to the end. I didn't even want to buy hangers. I thought, I'm not going to be here long enough to unpack. And then I said, I'll take it as far as I can. Did you get close to the people you were training with? Um, I didn't get that close with them, no? to be honest. Why not? Um, 
Yeah, they're all good, very respectful people, but not the kind of people I'm, I'm tight with. I think we all get along. I mean, as people leave, I think we get to be a tighter-knit group. Um, I've really developed a friendship with Maven. I get along with Josh. Yeah. Well. I think everybody's been pretty cool. We're just so different now, and I'm going to miss him a lot. What is there, Josh, about you inside? Um, you amplify and turn into a, something professional. I see myself as, you know, as, as the baby face, you know. I'm small in stature, but I'm big in character. kind of thought maybe the Harvard thing could work because there's a lot of stereotypes out there. You right. have a lot of feelings about it, you know, and that could be, I mean, it could be used. Because I'm a, yeah, I'm a pretty boy back at home and everything. My nickname is Face. Are you a ladies' man? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I like to, I mean, I like to think so. Right. <laughs> I hope so. Right. You think you're ready for life on the road? I'm, I'm ready. I am. I love this life. I mean, no doubt about it. I just wouldn't be happy doing anything else. That brings out the best in me. And I have to give it 100% to get anything out of it. You think you're tough enough? I definitely think I'm tough enough. I would like to think so. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Absolutely. You do? Yes, sir. Best of luck to you. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Good luck to you. Thank you. Okay. It's been a pleasure meeting you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Go. Okay, thank you. They made it. They are tough enough. How cool is that? So Chris says that he doesn't get along with it, didn't get close with his housemates, uh, but Maven and Josh agree they get along. Uh, Josh thinks he'll be a baby face, and Chris wants to be the Harvard guy, and Maven tells Vince he's a ladies' man. We go back to the house for the last day. We have the obligatory packing scene, uh, and they all write notes for the trainers, and Nydia is very emotional. We then go to tracks for graduation, I think that this was like another really good kind of wholesome moment. It's really interesting, again, how many of these wholesome moments they put in. Kind of like where they made this board game for, um, they talked about like moments throughout the show. I'm sure they didn't make it. I'm sure it was some producer's assistant somewhere who made it. But um, there are these moments where they're like writing thank you cards. Like Paulina wrote thank you cards when she left. Mm -hmm. They're writing each, like the coaches thank you cards. There are these moments of like politeness that are really surprising. And I am imagining probably don't carry on through the next several seasons because the culture kind of changes around it. But it's kind of the show again of like, they weren't quite sure what they were and the footing of the show at this point. But these people were like genuinely thankful and genuinely like had relationships with the trainers, with each other, and it really shows kind of that human aspect of it, and I thought that was really cool. Did you expect the wrestling reality show to be the kind-hearted reality no, show? Okay. No, no. I expected so much more of that, like, conflict that, and, like, again, that was really being amped up during this time period with Hell's Kitchen, that kind of thing where it was, like, we want the aggressiveness, we want the, like, ratings where we embarrass people on American Idol because they're horrible singers. You know, it was that kind of period where degrading was good, and yeah, the American Idol blooper videos yes. and stuff, and William Hung and all those. Yep, stuff exactly. Like that, yeah. Um, Sanjaya was like another one of those. Like, um, it's so interesting to see how there are so many good hearted things in, like you said, this very unexpected place. And I just thought that was a really cool thing that it wasn't just infused in one episode, it felt genuine because we saw little sprinkles of it throughout that these are like good, real people. So we go to tracks for graduation, and the graduation ceremony is a, 
multi-person mixed tag. It's the trainers versus the finalists. Mm -hmm. And we see Jackie and Nydia square off at first. Uh, Taylor comes in, and Jackie absolutely takes her block off with the clothesline that they show on replay about 17 times throughout the rest of the episode. It hurts so bad. Yeah, Jackie was definitely laying it in here. Uh, We see Taz versus Josh, and Josh somehow makes it out of it without any obvious broken bones or deformities. Uh, Al tags in and and beats up everyone, and this is a one-sided affair. This is definitely, uh, presumably was a squash match. Uh, And Taz goes very stiff on Chris as well. But then Josh fires up and gets the three on Al out of nowhere, and the finalists go over the trainers uh, in the graduation match. That was a fun match to watch. They did a really good job of editing it and everything, where it was just really enjoyable, fast-paced. Saw, you know, everyone go against everyone. Just a really fun, like, student-master moment. Um, Yeah, and... uh I thought it was it was kind of nice to allow Josh to get that pinfall on Al, probably a highlight of his career, because I think at this point it was clear that he was not going to win this. But yes. he had stuck through it and deserved to be a finalist, without question. Without question. Everyone is emotional as they reflect on their time at tracks, and Big compliments all five of them. The trainers have nothing but kind words to offer, even Taz. Uh, Al calls them all his kids, and they get to keep their chairs. And so back at the house, they're ready to leave. And, and Chris now says that he respects everyone and more emotion, more positivity. And so we're back at WWF New York and Al Snow and Jackie greet the crowd. And Jackie says she respects Taylor uh, after that clothesline. <laughs> and Taylor says she looks forward to getting in the ring with Jackie. Did you notice they started to like cut some promos and like do some like light angles and stuff yes. during this thing? Yeah, I was thinking that too with all of those. They did like a one-on-one with each of the finalists and where they matched up a commentary from their trainer and then a rebuttal or mm-hmm. a response from the contestant. And it was really funny because they would easily be like a quick little 15 15 uh, second promo for them where they would just kind of you know challenge them back is kind of what they were trying to get him to do like yes i'm very grateful but i'll see you later and uh so it's time to announce the the winner of the ladies bracket and they do the recap of taylor and nydia and the crowd is chanting nydia i would say the crowd is 90 percent yeah nydia. absolutely Did that surprise you you know it didn't it didn't to me both at this point, I was kind of split 50-50 where I could see it going either way. I could see either Taylor or Nydia. I could see either Chris or Maven. I was a little bit surprised because I thought people would latch more onto Taylor's underdog kind of story. Um, but I definitely can see that Nydia had more of the physicality, was probably more athletic, had a little bit more of the like spunk and spice that was inherent and not just rebellious anger um so like she would be able to keep the character up for like a longer time um so surprised but not i don't know how to say that exactly but i was happily surprised okay okay and so jim ross is here uh to announce the winners uh and he explains that this is a difficult business that's not for everyone and good old jr tells us that it is nydia who has been selected as the winner, uh, the women's winner for Tough Enough Season 1. The crowd is happy. Uh, Nydia and Taylor have a long hug. Um, Taylor looks crushed. Yeah. The camera pans between Taylor and Nydia a lot during this point. And Taylor is just head in hands, elbows on the table, 
sobbing her eyes out. Nydia is up on the stand looking guilty for winning, um, like happy but sad for her friend. And in her acceptance speech, she talks a lot about how like, girl, we're a tag team. We're in this together. We both won. It's fine. And tries to like play it down a little bit because she cared so much about Taylor and she knew Taylor wanted it so bad. Yeah, Nitty is up on the podium and she calls herself the the luckiest person on earth and that she loves Taylor. Yep. Um, Taz then interviews uh, Taylor and Taz says he wants the truth. Taylor says she's upset that WWF doesn't want her, but Mm -hmm. she says she's not going to quit. We then recap the men's finalists. Uh, We go back to JR who says everyone showed heart. No clear crowd favorite on this one that I was able to pick up on. No, it didn't. It seemed like it was pretty split. I think that um, it seemed like maybe a slight edge towards Maven, but not anything decisive. And good old JR tells us that Maven, perhaps a mild surprise, is the winner on the men's side. At the podium, Maven thanks the people. He He thanks Al Snow, Jackie, and Taz. Not Tori. He thanks the folks from Virginia and Portland, Oregon. He says uh, that this is for his mom. And so we cut to Al with Josh. Josh says he feels great for Maven. And then he's going to stick with it. Um, Taz is with Chris. And Chris says he's been kicked in the face. But it's a marathon. Not a sprint. And let me close on that. Maven, your winner on the men's side. Nydia, the winner on your women's side. Season 1 of Tough Enough. Before we go through our closing thoughts, why don't you tell us uh, your thoughts on this last episode, the live finale special? Yeah, I thought that Chris was very expressive um, in his delivery, and Maven was a little bit less so, which I think is why I expected Chris to win. I thought that we didn't get a huge look at Maven's personality beyond just his relationship with his mother. Um, But Maven was just a good all-around choice. He had the physicality. He was, you know, really attractive to look at. He was just like a all-around, like, solid choice that they could kind of mold into something more and give him a little bit more personality and kind of decide where they wanted to go with it. And so I do think that was a really great choice, both for him and Nydia. I think that they both earned it. Um, Overall, the episode was a little bit boring to me. I didn't know who the hosts were coming from an outsider. Like they didn't, who are these people who are now suddenly here? I don't know why they didn't have like Al and Jacqueline like hosting that and then Taz out with the contestants, Mm -hmm. something like that. It was a little bit awkward that way to me. Um, But I think that the outcome was really great. It wasn't the kind of show where I was like, dang it, they didn't deserve it. Why did they like, why did they choose Josh? He shouldn't have won. Like, I didn't feel that way at all. I think it was really uh, an appropriate outcome. Yeah, I thought the last episode was a little bit chaotic as well. And part of me wonders if, you know, it didn't have to be kind of reimagined because of the September 11 situation and, and, you know, maybe some editing that they had done and maybe some angles and storylines that they had filmed, you know, got put on the editing room floor in order to have this kind of more happier, you know, feel good moment. You know, I thought that the, once they... I did like that they didn't focus too much on Coach and on Trish because, yeah, it was awkward. And, you know, I don't know that Al Snow and Jacqueline would have been, you know, better, would have been better. But it, it at least would have made a little bit more sense in having these two kind of, you know, well-known people to WWF fans, but people who had otherwise 
not really been well affiliated with the show except for in Coach's instance, the the very first episode and then a, a blip when they were doing promos with Brawler. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I did like that once they got to the announcements and once JR came out, you know, they didn't linger too long. Nobody spoke for longer than a minute or two. Uh, the the uh, contestants who didn't succeed were, I felt like, genuine, but mm-hmm. there was enough of, like, wrestling angle in there yeah, to like, plant the seed for, for future uh, activities. I'll be back. Exactly. So I thought this was fine, and I thought it was a perfectly uh, fine closer, and I thought that, you know, maybe in hindsight, the the right people one if you kind of Definitely. factor in you know performance over the entire over the entire show yeah i think they were very consistent again back in episode 3 they were my front runners they were the ones who i saw as being the best performers and being um potential front runners at that point so i think it's really cool to see that they ended up actually being the ones that won the show knowing that they consistently performed they before the oh editors really knew how this was going to turn out they were already kind of in that spot where they were performing better than we could see without there being an obvious angle yeah i completely agree with you so uh on the show uh typically uh, when we rate uh, a pay-per-view we'll give it a score rating out of 10 and we've effectively, you know, looked at 13, you know, relatively match length episodes. So, heck, why not? Let's give us your rating on a score of 1 to 10 uh, on overall season one of Tough Enough. Oh, you know, there were some episodes that were really hard for me to get through. They were just a little boring. Nothing was happening. Again, I didn't really have any focus on this is the framework for how this show works. I still don't entirely know like <laughs> how people are supposed to eliminate what they're actually competing and doing as they compete. Um, so as far as like reality TV shows right. go, I would rate it like a three or maybe a three and a half. Um, there were moments that I really enjoyed and that I thought were like really good human moments that were like, oh, this is like what reality TV is. It's like looking into these people's lives in an extraordinary circumstance. But for the most part, it was just kind of dry and boring and without focus. And I wish they had focused a little bit more on character development, especially because characters are such a huge part of the wrestling world. That is such a huge element to everything. And they didn't really build that and they didn't really bring that out in a way that I wish they would have to engage me as just a reality show watcher um, in having a buy-in into the show right you needed something other than it's the wrestling reality show right and and i feel like we touched on how they dipped their toe into kind of some of the more scandalous like you know young people in bathing suits you know making out in the hot tub they dipped their toe into having like the like the true and outright like mean conflict mm-hmm. like we heard with taz and daryl and then with chris nowinski uh and daryl and, mm-hmm. and everybody and, and daryl um, and then, you know, they, they, they leaned really, really hard into the emotional aspects of it at times too, you know, right. in the episode With Maven's where we, mother. Maven's mother. And then in one episode in five minutes from each other, we had Josh and Greg crying and, yep. but I do think that like the, it was a very uneven, I agree with you. It was a very uneven show. And there were some episodes that were completely throwaways Yeah. and very, very boring. Yeah. And, and you know, the last three episodes were clearly the best uh, of the of the show in my opinion including 
the last episode in terms of the, the, the stuff at the house in the last few days and the, the, the finale match and everything. Yeah, they finally got their stride. They it, finally found it. Yeah, it just took a little while. I think I'm going to give it a little bit of a higher score here, but there's definitely because I have a bias towards being entertained by things involving wrestling. I think your analysis on the reality show aspect of it was great, but I enjoyed seeing some of the backstage elements. I enjoyed seeing some of the training. Uh, I enjoyed, you know, kind of meeting uh, other sides of personalities from people like Ivory and and Taz and and Al Snow. Uh, I'll give it a 5 out of 10, uh, right smack in the middle. Uh, This was by no means anywhere close to as good as, say, like a Survivor Season 1. Yeah. But it also, you know, was not anywhere near anything as embarrassing as a lot of reality uh, television was and, and continues to be. Let's talk about a couple of other things uh, before we go through here. I just wanted to, to, we don't have to spend a lot of time here, but I want to know who your favorite and least favorite contestants were. Yeah, so I think my favorite contestant female overall was probably Nydia. I think for all the reasons we stated, she was very consistent. She was very athletic. She had the spunk, but also the kind of genuineness of it not just being like angst teenage angst it was like spunk because that was her personality and so I had that buy-in for her um so I think she was probably in hindsight overall my favorite female character Paulina probably would have been had she stayed longer um but I was kind of disappointed overall with Paulina just being a little bit too nice and then almost a little naive Mm -hmm. um and then getting injured and she was just gone and so she didn't make it long um my favorite male character would probably be and recognize that i have certain biases about certain male things that i'm attracted to um chris newinski is probably oh, sure. my favorite um you know i like him tall and blonde and <laughs> that's uh I think that he did a good job of showing to a little bit of a personality and a little bit of depth. We saw his home life. We saw his education. We saw um, things that he was interested in. Like, we saw he had this, um, I mentioned the education because of his, like, fandom and his loyalty to Mm -hmm. his college. So we see a little bit of, like, personality there. Um, Things like that that I don't think we saw with any of the other male characters. So we saw a little bit more nuance, a little bit more of a breadth of who this person is in a way that I don't think we got to see with anyone else. I I think for me, I think Josh, while never a realistic contender to win the thing, unless every other male contestant other than maybe uh, Daryl and Chad and Chris Nifong suffering catastrophic injuries. Um, But I think if you, and looking back through my notes for this and, and looking back through the episodes and, some of the episodes that really needed a spark or really needed kind of some zhuzh or some, you know, Josh was always there to, you know, be the wrestling fan yeah. and to, you know, be the likable guy and to do the wacky stuff with the kazoo and dress up like Al Snow. And like, you know, I think as far as a reality show, you know, not having Josh there, especially kind of in the middle where we weren't really sure what the personalities were and. You know, there, there were some dips and some drags going on, and I think Josh was consistently an entertaining and, and generally positive and honest, if not super charismatic, in his speaking uh, 
participant. I, I really think that if, if we were to watch this again, I, I think Josh would stand out even more as somebody who was like critical to the show being even as marginally entertaining as it was. Yeah, he was very, like you said, consistent and everyone kind of revolved around him. You know, Maven really liked him, which was kind of an unusual pairing. Um, like no one disliked Josh. He was very much in the house and just a consistent figure of he was who he was. Yeah. And so let's talk about the hosts then, and, and and or trainers. And so we'll we'll lump in five, and okay. we'll, we'll include Big John Gaborik. Oh yes. Uh, and, and we'll also uh, who maybe he should have hosted the finale. He should know. have hosted the finale. You're dead on. Um, but so we have Big John Gaborik, Al Snow, Taz, Tori, and Miss Jacqueline. Yeah. Favorite and least favorite out of that crop. Um, you know, I put Al down for similar reasons for why I liked Chris. I think we saw the most of him, saw the most of his personality, saw the most depth. He showed some humor. He showed some gruffness. He showed some caring. Um, I really liked that we got to see multiple aspects of him and he became a person. Um, but I also liked Big. I think Big was just like the voice of reason. He was the adult in the room. He was that like person who was, um willing to tell you it's okay if you don't want to be here because I think that a lot of times in these kind of competitions it's just assumed that you have to stay and I think that although that made for some very anticlimactic episodes Mm -hmm. from a human perspective I think that that is a good thing so I appreciate him as a character on that too um overall though I think Al has probably stands out in my mind the most because he was just the most present and the most consistent on the show. And who was your least favorite? Um, Taz, because I thought he was just mean and unnecessarily so. (laughs) Like, but without like any personality, again, without the depth, like I didn't know why he was being a jerk to these people. Like, why is that necessary? (laughs) Um, Was it all a persona or is it who he actually is? And I get, especially after talking to McFoley, where he talks about like, Taz, you don't want any of your personal life discussed, right? Right. Okay, we'll move on. You know, that really shows that it is a persona who he puts on while he's in this arena. But I would have liked to see that and know that earlier Mm -hmm. instead of just thinking he's this dick this whole time. And then it just never really goes away. Yeah, I agree with all of that. I would also say that uh, this show would have been probably 8%, 10% better if they had just straight up swapped out Ivory for Tori. Yeah. And I think Ivory has to be a trainer if they, you know, next season. I think, you know, Tori was, I think, negative. She was negative and forgettable and she's not a very good wrestler. And, you know, she's not a very good, she's not a very energetic promo. And I, I, I couldn't ever really figure out what she was adding that couldn't be added by almost any other female talent on the roster. Um, Trainer of any sort. Exactly. And then I think we saw Ivory come in and be the kind of be the type of trainer that we all would have liked Tori to be. Yeah. Um, and, and I think uh, that would be the only swap there. And then, you know, Miss Jackie is just an incredible uh, wrestler and has a good mind kind of for the what it takes to succeed as a woman in this industry. And so I think her presence was necessary, you know, even if she's not the best wrestler is not the best, uh, personality. She, she has all the pieces together and is also incredibly, you know, uh, strong headed and strong willed. And so I think the only change I would have made after seeing ivory there in one of the final episodes, having her in there instead of Tori would have been, uh, would have been uh, an improvement. 
Definitely. I agree with that. And the last, uh, well, two more questions, I guess. Uh, we saw a lot of guests, and that included Triple H and Kurt Angle, McFoley, Vince McMahon, and Kevin Dunn, uh, the Hardy Boys and Lita, Stone Cold and Deborah, a couple of others, Pat Patterson. Uh, out of those and anybody else I may have missed, uh, tell us your favorite and least favorite guests. Yeah, so my favorite is between two of them, and probably the two that I talked about the most as we went through is either probably Triple H or McFoley, and I like them for the same reason, is that they gave two very real glimpses into what they would be sacrificing if they chose this life, but one of them was from the, you can have the rock star life, you just have to give up, like, cons- uh, roots and a family and having that white picket fence lifestyle. The other was you can absolutely have that lifestyle, but you better not be out there partying, drinking, shooting up on the amphetamines to get through. You're going to have to go home for dinner each night. Yeah. Yeah. And is it fair to say that uh, Deborah takes the, Oh, (laughs) without question. We don't, you know, all the reasons I've already stated what just thinking about, that perspective that she, I think genuinely, or at least genuinely in the character that she was portraying, um, felt was sickening. And I am so glad that in 20 years since then, I think a little bit, at least it's improved. It's definitely improved. It improved in the same episode when Ivory came in and said, basically all that, all that other stuff was bullshit. Yep. Um, I tend to agree with you. I think there were some missed opportunities here. I think Kurt Angle was kind of an awkward and clunky choice. You know, the Hardy Boys are, are, you know, a favorite of a lot of young people. And so they're kind of influential to a group like this. But I don't know that they added very much coming in. Um, But that's nitpicking. Uh, I I strongly agree with you that, you know, Triple H and, and Mick Foley kind of as a unit representing the two ends of the spectrum uh, was uh, was helpful to hear uh, i also really liked ivory as i mentioned yeah. before and, and yeah i'm not going to argue against deborah being just the most offensive uh, guest on the show and i wish they had done more with pat patterson because he really is kind of a, a hoot and a holler when he gets going and they didn't really like they didn't really let pat be pat and maybe that's maybe that's a good thing uh, but I do think if, if he had had a little more time to shine, that, that he would have been somebody who could have played a, a little bit bigger of a role in the show. So my last question is, uh, Tough Enough Season 2, would you watch it? You know, I think I would. I think the last three episodes really redeemed the show for me. If you had asked me after episode five, I would be like, no, I'm so over this. Um, But we pushed through and then I think I have hope that the show may have found some footing a little bit. Um, I don't know really what's to come, what it's going to look like. I know that it evolves over the years and it stays on for a number of years. Um, I would say I would be willing to give it another try. It's like reading the first chapter of a book, right? Like, Okay, it kind of got better at the end of it. I'll read the next chapter and see if I am still into this. And as far as what happens with our winners, Maven and Nydia, as well as our runners-up, Josh and Chris and Taylor, stay tuned to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast as we continue our journey and track the careers, or perhaps the lack of careers, of these five individuals. But that'll do it for Season 1 of Tough Enough. I would like to thank you so much, Heather Olson, for joining us and providing such a unique uh, voice and a unique perspective uh, on this show. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I had so much fun, you know, having these discussions and learning more about wrestling and really 
um, just watching the show and the discussion. Thank you. Yeah, maybe we can get you on the main volume sometime. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? Oh, there's a the perspective. Yeah, it's uh, we're, we're we're quickly rounding the corner on um, uh, on 2001. So we'll see what happens with 2002. But that's it. Uh, the only thing I'll say is check us out on Twitter at Wrestling20YRS uh, for all the show updates. Uh, I know that we have the indie uh, wrestling show as well. And, and stay tuned for more episodes from those guys doing great work there as we wrap up uh, this special episode uh, reviewing Tough Enough Season 1. And for Heather Olson, I'm Eric Landstrom. Goodbye. <laughs>